I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move Um, and sorry. Um. Alan Ruck is coming into the fold for Wind River 2. Wind River 2. A Wind River 2, which I think is very interesting. But Jerry Renner is not back because he ran over his... Yeah, he ran over himself with a snowblower. Yeah. Which I gotta say, that is a that is a A Renner-ass move. A full-size snowplow. There's a few things that you can do to define yourself as Jeremy Renner. One is run yourself over with a snowplow. And two is create an app that exists that's just about you and your personality and try to create a social network that is just about you. And then immediately everybody makes accounts pretending to be you so much so that they troll your app and now it doesn't exist anymore. Those are the two things that you can do. To well, be there's sure a third one, runner. and that is to break both of your arms on the first day of filming a movie called Tag. <laughs> yeah. And then they have to CGI. Yeah. That's pretty. He, you know what? I gotta say, all that stuff that I was saying in a way that sounds like talking shit, like that actually is badass. Yeah. I wish I was confident enough to launch an app based on my crappy music career. I wish that I was mad enough to be within a mile of a snowplow, let alone underneath one that I'm driving. So no, he owned one. He owned that snowplow. He's going to help his cousin. There's no sequence of events that I can prescribe to my life right now that I could foresee leading to me being within a mile of a snowplow before the end of my life. Yeah. He's a badass. We love him. Uh, speaking of badass, this is I Like to Movie Movie, and my name is Stephen Richards, and I just did the intro. Yes! Yes! My name is Dan Scully, and I am a proud papa, because you knocked that intro out of the park, my friend. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I want... I wanted to say, you mentioned Alan Ruck. Yeah. Alan Ruck recently did an episode of Mark Maron's WTF podcast. Probably to, top, probably to promote Succession, one of my favorite shows. I'm excited for coming back. He was uh, he was promoting Succession. And yeah. he mentioned his wife, and I'm not going to remember the actress's name, but he mentioned his wife, and he said, oh, you know, my wife, who's really funny, you know, she she really does a lot of drama roles, but uh, Muriel she's Enos. Really funny. Muriel Enos. And he's like, you know, she's a, and, but in referring to how funny she was, he said, yeah, she's a banana. And I've been thinking about that ever since I listened to this, like a month ago. That is so on brand for Alan Ruck to be so enamored with his wife's sense of humor that he calls her a banana. Ah, she's a banana. That's funny, I guess. It's not that it's funny, it's that it's sweet and charming, because I guess that's something that you say if it's 1932, but... He yeah. said it, and he's Alan Ruck, and he loves his wife, and and she's funny to him, and so he, she's a banana. <laughs> what was that show she was in with Joel Kinnaman? I don't know. I I actually the really killing. Oh, okay, she was in that. I I predominantly know her from Sabotage, the Schwarzenegger movie from a couple years back, but not the Beastie Boys music video. Not the Beastie Boys music video. Oh man, that sucks. You got to go on SoundCloud or Bandcamp. I forget what it was. And you want to look up Daft Science. Have you heard of Daft Science? No. Somebody remixed Daft Punk with Beastie Boys. Nice. And it is fucking next level. 
I listened to it twice through at work today. It's so goddamn good, and you'll love it because I know you're a fan of both of those artists. I am. I just saved it. Right on. Yeah, give it a listen. I think you'll dig it. I'm going to give it a listen because I think I'll dig it. There you go. Well, uh, I guess before we get into it, just remember everything about the show you can find at Movie Movie Cast on all things. So please like and subscribe. We're part of the Hot Property Podcast Network, which means there's another podcast that we do called Hot Property. Yep. And you can find that at Hot Property Pod. And also, uh, in the coming weeks, I'm going to be flying down to beautiful New Orleans to be covering the Overlook Film Festival. So I just want to shout out the Overlook Film Festival. Thank them for uh, uh, giving me press access and uh, for my stupid little website. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see a lot of movies, but I have a plan. Nicholas Cage is attending Renfield in person. Oh, shit. I also happen to know that Nicholas Cage, his gravestone is in New Orleans, and you can go visit it. He has a gravestone that is prepared, so when Nick Cage dies in two or three hundred years... say, what? <laughs> he's got a gravestone that's already bought, and bought and paid for, and it's a giant pyramid that they're going to bury him yeah. in. And apparently, and I've not seen it, uh, actually, Jenna, who's a real banana, she went, when she was in New oh, Orleans God. doing a show, she uh, uh, went on a tour of this cemetery, because a lot of celebrities have their, their graves down there. And apparently, there was a thing where people were putting on lipstick and kissing Nicolas Cage's grave, so it had kiss prints all over it. And as part of having your your headstone at this place, they clean it for you as a regular service because they want to keep this whole thing pristine. And Nick Cage was not a fan of the fact that they cleaned all of, as apparently he put it, his kisses off of the gravestone. When he went down and found that it was clean, he went off and was like, but where are my kisses? You can't clean off the kisses? What? That's a pretty good Nick Cage impression. That's everybody's Nick Cage impression. Can, yeah. you, try, can you try to do one? No. It's just, uh, whoa, uh, I don't know. It's Nick Cage. Everyone has one. I'm, like I'm, you know, I'm not good on the spot. I'll have one ready for next time. The thing is, you're not good on the spot, but you're one of the better impressionists I, I know. Not on the spot. You find the thing. Yeah, you got to look for the thing. So shall we get into it? Yeah, I guess so. All right. I love that you are very medium about this because this I, week... I'm less than medium, dude. I do not like this movie. <laughs> okay, well, it was up to me to pick up, pick the movie for this week, and I thought, let's introduce Steve to something weird. Let's introduce uh, one of my favorite filmmakers who's known for being kind of out there, and let's take his most accessible, original scripted film, Blue Velvet, and see what Steven thinks about it. And so I ask, what's your reaction? uh not not very good it was the tone was very it made me uncomfortable the whole time um which yes, i guess is probably the correct. point <laughs> it's probably the point but like i don't want to feel that way <laughs> i get it um it was the dialogue was weird which might also have been by design and i it doesn't it didn't feel like anybody did good acting which again might have been the point so all right so here's the thing. Everything that you said is correct. <laughs> because because that's the thing. Uh, a lot of Lynch's work, David Lynch, is yeah. he loves playing in like purposeful melodrama. But okay. he's also just a dyed-in-the-wool weirdo. Yeah. And yes. the, first, the first couple movies that you see of his, everyone has the same reaction. And your reaction is one that... that I've also felt where I was like, I don't know what this is. Like, 
yeah, it's a kidnapping thriller. Yeah, it's sort of like a sexy thing. But what is going on here? Then you see a couple David Lynch movies and you realize he's a master. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think Blue Velvet is is one of his best, but it's because it's his most accessible. That is not to say that it's the most accessible thing in the world. But to me, it like really felt like a movie that is just so god-awful that that's why people like it, like The Room. No. Yeah. This is heresy. It, it was, dude, like the opening scene, I knew I was in trouble because it's a dude watering his lawn, has some kind of collapse where he like starts grabbing his neck. Mm. And then as he's holding out a hose that's like really next to his penis and a dog comes up and starts biting at the water from his hose penis. And then they do this really weird thing where they slow everything down. Oh, also at this time a baby is walking out, yes. eating out a popsicle. And then they slow they slow down the movie and zoom in on the dog biting the water from his hose penis. Yes. And so and then they never talk about it again. Yes, they do talk about it again. That's that's uh Jeffrey's dad. Well, yeah, that's, I mean the next scene the... is Jeffrey coming in to see him in the hospital, but after that, they never address it again. Well, so then what's the other image? The the fireman on the fire truck? Yeah. Just waving. So all of that stuff. And at least this is now, again, I don't want this to just be me yelling at you about Blue Velvet. Uh, I'm looking. I want to set the stage for you here. I'm looking for you to explain to me why this movie is good and see if you can convince me otherwise. I'm going to get you there. And yeah. um, But uh. So next is the the fire. So all of these things that you see, the little kids playing, all you know, all that stuff like that, that is like pure, just white bread Americana. That is white picket fences, yeah. roses in front of the Pleasant fence. Bell. Everything's good. When out of nowhere, a horrifying thing happens. And even even and so I I didn't even think about the hose in terms of being the guy's penis. I don't. There's not a huge theme of David Lynch working in of of phallic imagery kind of stuff but it's i weirdly it seems like he's forcing it to be held in that era, area that's the thing is now that you say it it definitely feel it definitely feels intentional so now we've got this guy who's having a crazy stroke heart attack whatever um and now there's a dog his best friend in the world <laughs> to me i always took it as the dog just goes oh water nom, 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 nom. <laughs> and it's like but that's that to me is at the core of this movie because what we're seeing is the first break in that veneer of innocence man and his little best friend water and the roses uh white picket fences fireman waves because everyone knows the fireman and in one moment everything gets a little bit darker and that is the moment where the the reality of lumberton sort of cracks open and we realize that this most picturesque picture is has so much darkness underneath it as any existence does but why make the choice to zoom in and slow down on the dog chomping at water you're gonna hate my answer but what? it's but it's to unsettle you yeah then it came, <laughs> then you did it you did it again i that's not a feeling i want to feel though <laughs> so in in terms of convincing you this is good i can't say that you have to like it but will you concede that it was effective if that was the feeling to be elicited then yes now i'm going to assure you that that's the feeling that was being elicited but the problem is i will never get any sort of backup from david lynch himself 
because if you've ever seen an interview with David Lynch, he is wholly unwilling to explain anything. He's polite, he's funny, he's dry, but if you ask him to explain anything in any one of his movies, he just goes, oh no. He won't do it. I hate that. So, but here's the thing. I like that because right now, both of our interpretations are ultimately valid because there's no actual... I also hate that you're making making salient points right now. Well, that's the thing with David Lynch is he refuses to be cracked. And so at the end of the day, we might not even know if his surrealist stuff actually means anything. It could all be a goof. What I like about him is if I found that out, I'd still like his movies all the same. But in terms of Blue Velvet, that's what I would understand the opening scene to be is beautiful picturesque you know 1950s style neighborhood suddenly something terribly bad happens through no fault of anybody and yeah. that's what rips this movie open and we get to the underbelly um yeah sure. tell me your experience of like what i'm not you're... buying it i'm not buying it so sorry fair enough roger it's ebert not, famously it's not, hated it's not moving the needle that argument Fair enough. It's a taste thing. That's the problem with Lynch that I love about him is that because there's no definitive interpretation, it's just, you just have to go with whatever you feel. To me, the taste is sour. Well, there you go. (laughs) Um, Also, how many, do you know how many times in the opening, like 10 minutes, he says, hello, I'm Jeffrey Beaumont. Oh, that's another thing, though. (laughs) What sucks is I'm never going to get you to watch Twin Peaks. But if you were to watch Twin Peaks, you would get it. I think that's what breaks David Lynch open to everybody because every dialogue is stilted like that on purpose. And there's rhythms that he repeats. And him just saying, oh, hello, I'm Jeffrey Beaumont. No, that's just that's just the way he does things. And there's a, there was a lot of lines in the movie where I was like, this is like, this is like when you first open up whatever script writing software you want to use. And you're like... Dan says hello. Yeah. Steve says hello. <laughs> My name is Dan. My name yeah. is Steven. Yeah. It is nice to meet you. Like there was a like there randomly uh Kyle McLaughlin and Laura uh Laura Dern mm-hmm. are walking down the street and he's like, Do you want to see the chicken walk? And he does a chicken walk and then she says, That's very interesting. <laughs> like it's like it's just such <laughs> I was like, why does she say that? <laughs> That's so funny that you picked that moment because anytime that moment happens, I, I, I'm i reminded that it happens even though I've seen this movie a few times. Yeah. Because he's being a charming guy. But, but again, this is sort of parody because this is David Lynch doing, you know, like Marty McFly's 1955. You know, like it's him doing a version of that that knows that it's cheesy and does that yeah. on purpose and sort of leans into it. You know, whereas a guy like, you know, whereas Rocky goes up to Adrian, and he's like, hey, I'm going to tell you a couple jokes. And she's like, oh, stop it, Rock. And he's like, oh, it's just a stupid joke I made up. And he's just trying to be a funny guy. In David Lynch's world, he's like, oh, if a guy was trying to do that in my world, instead of being a funny guy by telling her a joke, he would do a chicken dance. <laughs> like, that's his thing is like, what's the weird thing, you know? Yeah. Um. Also, I wrote down um, Kyle McLaughlin looks like an alternate reality Chandler Bing from a show called Coworkers. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> I had a note that, uh, wait, where is it? Where's my phone? Right, this is the first time, and I don't know why, um, 
I've always noticed that Kyle McLaughlin has an ear piercing in this movie, but it never occurred yeah. to me this time around that he doesn't really have earlobes. No. I was watching, I was like, man, I'm mother... Because now that I have, because I was watching it in Blu-ray quality, and I've only ever seen it on like tape and DVD. Yeah. It's like I can see. I watch it, I it on HBO Max. Oh, so you saw it in Blu-ray quality. The um... Um, also there was they kind of bamboozled me in the beginning too because when Jeffrey brings the ear to the police station. And then they go to the morgue, which, by the way, the police detective or whatever mm. in that scene never stops staring at Jeffrey the entire time, no matter where he is in the room. Like he's like walking around him and he still just like follows him like a painting. And like even when they're like about to walk out to the morgue, he's still just like staring into Jeffrey. And I was like, he's a good cop. Yeah. I was like, this is really weird. And then. See, that's um, another thing, though. That's another David Lynch weird choice. Because what happens when the hero talks to the cop for the first time in any movie? The cop's a little suspicious of him for coming in. And instead of playing it like, oh, yeah, he's a little suspicious of him, he stares him down creepily the entire time. But, like, while saying nice things and supportive things about him bringing the ear in. Exactly. It's him heightening and tweaking sort of a convention. Yeah. And then um, they bring the ear to the morgue and the the more more whatever is like um well it looks like this ear was cut off with scissors and then the next they cut immediately to a police detective cutting uh do not cross cross tape tape. with scissors and then they zoom in on the words not cross and i'm like so is this like an allusion to like the cops are are in on it and that never really gets uh i guess it does yeah, it, does does, it, it gets very explicitly into that. Yeah. But also that's that again is more just David Lynch being like, oh, scissors. Yeah. <laughs> but it's supposed to unsettle you because he goes, oh, it looks like this year was cut off with scissors. And then everyone goes, oh, my God, that would suck so hard. And then yeah. immediately a pair of scissors snip and you go, ah, that's what it would feel like on my ear. And it, cuts, right, so e- it cuts so easily through the caution tape or the uh, do not cross tape. Yeah. But your ear wouldn't cut so easily. So you're like, ah, I, it'd still be happening. Ooh. But again, it's loud. It's in your face. And that's part of the David Lynch aesthetic to some degree. And there was a point where like my roommate Joe came upstairs to, to do something. And he it was the scene where they're just very slowly zooming into the ear. Yeah. And Joe's like, what in God's name are you watching right now? And there's bugs in it. Yeah. But that's another thing, because it's that's another blight on normalcy. A nice little, not really a nice green field. There's trash everywhere. But boom, then there's a, an ear in it. And then you go in that ear and there's there's consumption happening. Ugh, it's brilliant. I'll give that one to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, everything's cracked open. So I'm curious as to what you felt this film was, like, about going in. Because... Nothing. I knew nothing. I mean, actually, you know what? I'll come back to that question. I want to ask, what was your understanding of anything David Lynch before this? Because this is really... This is kicking the door open from a full shut, correct? Not entirely. I went to a David Lynch exhibit at PAFA a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Did you go to that one? I did indeed. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> He's a weirdo, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I recognize some shit from like Twin Peaks. 
And didn't he do a racer head? Yes. Yeah. So I, I recognize that that like I, uh, iconic imagery that Man. you see whenever like they have. If you didn't latch on to Blue Velvet, the day I show you a racer head is going to be, I want to do that one in person. <laughs> it's going to be insane. I, I I don't know if I can. No, I, honestly, I, this is how somebody sold me on a racer head back in the day. Uh, my buddy Kev, shout out Kev. He was like, I don't know what it, what it's about, but I'll tell you what, it is never boring. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll watch it. Just not with you. Cause I don't want, I don't want to be the victim of that thing that happens where someone shows you a movie. They're like, are they enjoying it? No, no. But here's the thing. I, I because we're doing, don't it, look we at be me doing it and don't show. talk to me the whole time. <laughs> I wouldn't, if you wanted me to be cool in that regard, I would be cool in that regard. I promise you that. All right. But uh, what's funny is because we would probably do a show about it, I wouldn't have to talk to you. If we were not watching it about a show the whole time, I'd be like, you see that right there? See his head? Eraser. It's an eraser. <laughs> <laughs> you get it now? Do you understand? Yeah. Yep, yep. But then to bring it into the question that I that I wanted to come back to, when this movie started and he found the ear, what did you did? What did you assume the movie was going to be? I was still Police thinking about procedural? that fucking dog, dude. <laughs> I, was just, I still, I was, I was lagging pretty hard. That'll happen. Like, what the fuck is happening? That's funny that that because I mean I guess that is an image meant to unsettle you. It's just funny that that image resonates with you of all the images in this movie I, that that like fuck me up. That's not very high on the list. It didn't fuck me up. It just confused me. You Fair know. enough. Um, that's that's the other thing about David Lynch is it it almost defies you to actively engage like multiple viewings of movies. You let them wash over you, and then you're like, oh, I love this 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 dream." Well, also the other thing is that the review that I read, I didn't read a review, but like the synopsis that I read online when you sent me the the link originally, yeah, yeah. said something about he finds an ear. So like that wasn't a surprise to me. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I was like, this is where I guess this is where the movie begins because whatever the fuck I just watched doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so let's all right. So from there, we we have that. We meet uh we meet Jeffrey Beaumont, who introduces himself to us seven yeah. to fifteen times. Seven to fifteen times. <laughs> He's back in town for uh uh to visit his father who's who's ailing and uh he uh what's I'm trying to think of the order that this comes out. We'll just say it. Uh, he does his own investigation into where this ear might come from. Yeah. And I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was like, okay, this is what we're getting into as a police procedural, sort of a mystery. You know, and I figured it was just going to be a kind of artsy thriller about this guy trying to solve the mystery of the ear. But spoiler alert to the listeners, we kind of solved the, the general gist of the ear pretty early. Yeah. It defies being a mystery. We find that Isabella Rossellini has kidnapped family members and the ear belongs to one of them. I'm just uh, curious as to what your, what your parallel experience would be to what you thought the movie was going to be after it establishes itself. Wait, the ear belongs to one of her kids? No, it belongs to her husband. Oh. Remember at the end, he has no ear? Oh, that was him? Yeah. And she I, gets I her no son back at the end. On, man. Uh, so that'll happen too. <laughs> yeah, I like. I didn't know. Like, who, I knew that the cop was there at the last room, but I don't know why he was still standing up. 
that's another weird David Lynch thing. He just got shot in some crazy way that he didn't fall over, but he's not alive enough to to make any thoughts. He's just kind of dead on his feet. That's fucked up. Yeah. I love that shit. It's that's unsettling. But yeah, the other guy I'm assuming is her husband, which is why he's missing the ear and uh has been killed. But she yeah, gets her sweet baby boy back. That didn't uh didn't didn't uh get that one. Really? Only over my head. All right. Tell me tell me what happened in the movie then. To okay. before we take so, a break, tell me what happened in the movie. I want to see what level we're playing on in terms of because here's the thing. I say that this movie is straightforward, but the first time I watched it, I missed a lot of shit too. And that's sort of the nature of, of David Lynch. So Jeffrey is trying to solve the mystery, like we said, comes up with a plan to sneak into uh Isabella Rossellini's apartment to see what's going on um gets caught doing so and then essentially raped by knife point he gets yeah and then um but he's into it for this for some at least you know a good part of it yeah um and so they start kind of a weird um fetishized affair uh and then he's also at the same time hitting on Laura Dern, uh, who has a boyfriend, in- Mike. Yeah, Mike, her boyfriend, boyfriend, Mike. Oh, and then he doesn't. He becomes obsessed with figuring out what's going on, or at least saving her from uh, what's his name, Dennis Hopper's character, Frank. Yeah, Frank. Frank. And so he keeps meeting up with her. And has some weird domestic violence level sex with her. Mm. And she then, likes getting likes getting smacked around a little bit. Uh, yeah, she does. And then she's a glutton for punishment. Uh Frank also does a lot of some kind of drug. Ether. Ether. And then likes the these two specific songs. One is called Blue Velvet. Yep. Which is the name of the movie, Dan. There you go. And, and the other one is something, something about a candy clown. Oh, is it the Roy Orbison song? Yeah. Yeah. And then they go to a weird... So then Jeffrey gets caught by Frank and they go on a joyride. Oh, yeah. He it's a Dean Stockwell Heineken, house. That Heineken is a shit beer. They only drink Pabst Blue Ribbon. The line is, Heineken, fuck that shit. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yeah, which I assume is like the the line from the movie that everyone quotes a lot because well, as soon as i went on instagram later on I, I guess they're listening to me but that that clip just showed up randomly there you go the algorithm is smart and i gotta uh, say i'm inclined to agree to an extent like i don't dislike heineken but if i'm drinking cheap beers i i will probably pick a pbr over I'll go heineken yeah i yeah, could probably um, have more heinekens but i'm not always a more guy with beer then they go to a weird party where that dude sings that song into a light bulb about the clown. Yeah. Uh, Dean they, beat Stockwell, the classic. they beat the shit out of him. Then in the car, they play that song again. And there was a weird imagery of this woman just like dancing on the car top, not to the beat at all of the song. Yeah. Um, She's just and fucking... then Jeffrey gets a shit kicked out of him. Him and Laura Dern talk about going to her dad who's the police detective handling the case and then they do and then jeffrey goes to 
the police station and finds out that the yellow man who's been helping Frank the whole time is actually a detective. Yep. And then a classic noir thing, but instead yeah. of being a guy who's shady and weird, it's a man who's in such a bright yellow jacket that he's universally recognizable. Another strange Lynchian riff on a classic trope. And then I don't know what happened, but the next thing I remember is that he goes into the apartment and oh, he, he gets accosted by Mike, and then Isabella Rossellini comes out. Somehow finds out where he lived, even though she didn't remember who he was in the moment. Yeah. And comes out completely naked. And then Mike is like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was the best. He's like, we didn't know. We didn't know. I was like, you didn't know that a naked lady was going to come running out? And then... I don't think anyone could have known. They bring her to the detective's house. And then fucking... Fuck. Then what happens? I mean, you don't have to oh, go then, beat by beat, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, then the, then the denouement happens where he finds that the yellow man's just standing, standing death. Yeah. And apparently uh, the husband, and then he hides in the bedroom, but sends out a message to the detective on the radio, which he knows Frank has one of. Yeah. Says, I'm in the back. And then he comes in and there's like a five-minute monologue about how stupid he is for using the radio. Oh, that's the best. Dennis Hopper going off. Yeah. And then... Um, Remember when he dressed as the, the handsome guy with the mustache? Yeah. And it was the worst also, disguise ever. That's another great Lynchian thing of just like, yeah, he put on a mustache and thought it was a disguise. But like in an, in an old... Jeffrey calls movie. it, he's coming in dressed as the handsome man. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, has never been established. Well, he does refer that's to him as, as a handsome man is oh. with them. But uh, he doesn't call him the handsome man. But again, I and I I feel like a broken record. I have to remit to this is Lynch doing riffs on established things. Because what do we think um, when we think disguises? A big silly mustache. But then we all laugh. In this world, it's very real and it sort of works. Even yeah. though it would never work. And then um, he blows Dennis Hopper's brains out. Yeah, that's pretty brutal too. Yeah. That's another thing that's classic in Lynch is every once in a while you just get crazy hyper-violence. And like, there was just like a string of deli meat reaching from the hole in his brain behind him. Yeah. Which was pretty good VFX. Yeah. For, 80, for 86. 86, dude. I was two years old when this came out. I was, I was negative one. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. it sounds like though you really did get everything that happened in the movie. Yeah, but I mean, I I understood what I was looking at, but I had no idea what I was watching. They like the whole thing with that guy being her husband, and you know, that's that's something that is like it, it's not written explicitly. Whereas he'll explicitly say, "Hi, I'm Jeffrey Beaumont," five times, as if to make sure you at home get it. And that's another weird Lynchian tweak where he focuses on the banal and leaves the the explicit detail of what happened out you know we don't know what happened when frank was there but we know he had what's her name naked we know that yellow man got shot a couple times but not in such a way that he would fall over and we know that the husband's there he's dead and he's got no ear and it's like all of that detail is stuff that's sort of left to the side that you can miss it but the you know the the dumb detail like hi i'm jeffrey beaumont 
and uh, oh, you know, goofy chicken walk. We focus on that stuff almost obsessively, and that's another one of Lynch's weird trademarks is focusing on the banal and highlighting it. But I don't want that. Yeah, I want to know what the story you're trying to tell. It's a matter of taste. Well, we can get into that. We'll take a yeah. quick break and we'll actually get into what we think the story of Blue Velvet is trying to tell. We'll crack it wide open. Um, right. Yeah, we'll be back in a sec. All right, bye. Hey, everybody, it's me, Dan. I, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if the ads on the podcast are actually working because I don't think we have enough listeners to be able to activate ads. Now, this is partially my fault because of the time that I took off from doing Movie Movie, but that doesn't mean I can't record an ad for the podcast itself, which is what you are listening to right now. So make sure you follow I Like to Movie Movie at Movie Movie Cast on all of the things. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. It would be very helpful if you could subscribe specifically on Spotify. That really beefs up the numbers. If you heard a little bell jingling, that's my cat's collar because she came running over because she can't let me record a fucking commercial in peace. Hi, Doris. Hi, Stinky. But uh, please do all of that and check out our other show, Hot Property, at Hot Property Pod on all of the things. So uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll get you back to the show. We are part of the Hot Property Podcast Network. Peace. And we are back. Talking Blue Velvet. So let's talk about what, what do we think this film is about? Um the i don't know <laughs> story wise what do you think they were getting at any thematic threads that that you think you could intuit through it no i just watched a bunch of things that happened and <laughs> i don't know how to put them together in any sensible way well then i'll say to me and this is again my take watch your ears never never any yeah i mean certainly watch your ears that's watch that's you. straight out the gate watch yeah. your ears then you can't introduce, introduce yourself to everyone you meet. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, so if you go missing, yeah. people are like, "Where's that Jeffrey Bowman?" And if you're going to have sex with, um, essentially uh, a hostage, mm. um, it's probably going to be weird. It's definitely going to be weird. Yeah, definitely going to be weird. I don't do um, don't don't do ether. Don't actually. I I was uh, looking through just some stuff about the movie while we were on break there, and I was incorrect in saying it was ether. Apparently, it's supposed to be amyl nitrate, which is essentially poppers. All right, don't do that. Yeah, don't do poppers. Um. Although, watch Wind River two coming <laughs> out next year. <laughs> Fun can be had with poppers, but they ain't good for you. Um. So this is this is uh, I think the the clearest clearest example of what is a theme underlying all of Lynch's films in my opinion is the inherent goofiness of normalcy and how under all that normalcy there's always dark secretive shit but if you really want to you know define what's real and what isn't if you look at normalcy it is a rather elaborate and ridiculous charade that all of society agrees agrees to I say charade. 
Sherrod, I you know what? I I hemmed and hawed in the seconds before saying Sherrod whether to say Sherrod or Charade. And I didn't know where I landed because I thought, how do I say that? I, I've I, written it, but I don't say it out loud that often. I only say Sherrod to annoy other people. <laughs> oh, so here's the catch. I settled on Sherrod and then I went, Steven's going to say something if I say Sherrod. Yeah. So I said Charade. Yeah. But again, so this is exactly what Lynch is getting at. I went through a whole mental narrative on how to pronounce a word based on entire conjecture because of what I believed would sound normal as if the pronunciation charade charade both totally valid pronunciations as if one is abnormal and what we just did there was an example of like you know why the white picket fence why you know why all this bullshit when we all know what's happening underneath and that's something that I think is in layers in many of Lynch's films, but I think this is the one film that is like about that shit. This in the show Twin Peaks. Of which I've never seen. Um, Man. I mean, I guess yeah, I can see that, but it is... Man, they take the scenic route to get there, don't they? I mean, what else is cinema? Yeah, I guess so. You know? I'm just glad it wasn't longer. This is one of David Lynch's shortest movies, too. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if I'll ever get you on Inland Empire, but that's three hours long and it is wild. Oh, man. I'd but it's like, it's like Elvis. a Laura Dern home run. Dude, El- I mean, I think you'd like Elvis. I know. That's why I'm saying I'd rather watch Elvis. If I'm going to spend three hours watching something. I'll bring it some time. I bought Elvis. I loved it so much. And I don't even like Elvis that much. I don't have a Blu-ray player. Fair enough. I think it came with a download. Oh, okay. But um, you know, you just don't like that. It, whatever. No, just, anyway, blue velvet. Anyway, um, so blue velvet. It also um, just on a technical thing. I it, it's uh, Lynch has a Angelo Badalamenti score, and he's like one of my top favorite scoring entities ever. So it was a it was a creative choice to not have to have the music not really describe the situation what's of what's happening. Yeah. Okay. It's all fucking soap opera music, but like, well, there was a of... moment where like him and Laura Dern are talking and they're like devising a plan in his car, and for I can hear what can only be described as like lo-fi Seinfeld. Yeah, <laughs> that's the perfect explanation for a lot of what the Twin Peaks score and a lot of what yeah. this score sounds like. But again, that is that is supposed to have that sort of effect where you're like, ooh, it kind of grooves. But in a way, almost a parody of how scores work because in that moment when they're devising, the music would get a little bit more jazzy, a little bit more, we're going to pull off a heist, we're Ocean's Eleven. But instead of doing it, I mean, that that whole thing is just swingy jazz. Ocean's Eleven is... I love that movie. I'm talking about the score in terms of the score. And so yeah. in a real movie, that's what you get. In something like Blue Velvet, that's uh that's sort of a send-up of that reality, we get a weird, skewed version of that exact music type. That's what this whole thing to me is on a technical level, is like, yeah, there's like the the damsel in distress, but let's like tweak it so that she's in like actual traumatic, horrifying distress. You yeah. know, she you know, it's but she also has like psychosexual hang-ups and shit. Um, you know, you've got a uh, a pleasure-seeking uh, villain 
who's your classic villain, but in here he's pleasure seeking because he's a fucked up drug addict, you know, psychopath who loves Pabst Blue Ribbon. You know, it's everything is a little tweak. The mystery music that kicks in is a little bit yeah. goofy sounding because it, it can't it can't ever be the exact thing it is. It's got to be some weird thing. And that's David Lynch. The sex scene between Frank and uh, Denise. Yeah. What's Isabella Rossini's name? It's um. why am I not? Her real name is just so good that I don't ever know her yeah. character's names. Anyway, the sex scene between her and Frank... Dorothy, was, Dorothy, Dorothy, Dorothy Valens. The sex scene between Dorothy and Frank was uh, cringy yeah. as, as all get out. It was very... It was hard to watch. I mean, it's it's a fucked up scene. Yeah. The uh, There's a story from the set that I don't know if it's true or not, but Isabella Rossellini talks about it and says that... Uh, when they were shooting that scene, apparently David Lynch couldn't stop laughing at the inherent ridiculousness of it, yeah. which sounds fucked up and horrifying. But she said to this day, she can't watch that scene without laughing because she now sees how ridiculous it is. And I think yeah. that really does speak to the clashing of tones that Lynch typically goes for, because like that scene is horrifying. It's a terrifying moment. But it is inherently manic and wild in a way that's that's almost madcap. Well, it made me madcap. Yeah, there you go. Made me hard as fuck. No, I didn't, that's yeah. not what I meant. I know I'm, that's that's not even true. But um, you know, I feel like that's the world that he's uh, that he's existing in. I'm trying to think of a way I can convince you to love this movie, and the only way I think I can do it is by asking you to watch it again. And I know that'll never ever happen. Nope, you get one. <laughs> you get one. One day, hopefully you'll understand. But you may not. So Roger Ebert did not care for David Lynch at all. He thought he was a hack, thought that everything was just bullshit that was dressed up to look pretty. And um, and that's that's he, he thought he was empty. And then slowly over his career as a writer, started to like embrace Lynch more. I think Mulholland Drive ultimately turned him. But he's a... Uh, Certainly a unique one. I think you actually would like Elephant Man. I think I've seen Mulholland Drive. You've probably seen Mulholland Drive. That was like the big hit. Yeah. I think you'd like the Elephant Man because that's that's not an original. And you'd love the straight story. They're not originals. It's just David Lynch doing someone else's material. But I'll ask you um, this. Elephant it's, Man is, I'm assuming it's about uh, America. Can, yeah. can turn into an elephant? No, no. It's about the, the medical Damn oddity. It. Uh, Merrick, I think Joseph Merrick was his name. I thought it was part of oh, the right. MCU. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. We're like, we have a Hulk and an yeah. elephant. And an <laughs> elephant, yeah. Oh, elephant man who was bitten by an elephant. Yeah, a radioactive elephant. Yeah. No, a, a, uh, an elephant sucked up radioactive goo and spit it on him with his trunk. <laughs> and then it turned him into an elephant man. It was a playful moment at first, but little did he know it would change the fate of his fate and the fate of the world. Yeah. Um, one of the choices that I liked in this movie was they had some interesting edits. Like when they leave Dean Stockwell's apartment and uh, Dennis Hopper goes, let's get out of here. And then he just disappears. Yeah. Did you notice that? I think so. Yeah. Like at the end of that scene, he doesn't walk away. Just everyone who's at the apartment just goes Boop, and they're gone. And it's not a magic thing. It's not a weird thing. It's just on to the next thing. Like 
another weird Lynch oddity, but I love the edit on this movie because it's filled with things like that as well as the scissors moment that we talked about earlier. And there was a lot of like weird hard edits or hard cuts from people who seem to be in the middle of a conversation mm. and then it just cuts to the next thing. Yeah. You know, which with a really weird pacing on that. I don't know. It was well for me. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that's another common criticism of Lynch is that he does weird pacing and he is very much a filmmaker who's doing things at his own rhythm. And you either pick it up or you don't. Yeah. But it is what it is. Uh, Do you think watching this and seeing the weird tone of it, how do you feel about potentially? Now, of course, we'll wait till after Dune Part 2 comes out. Do you trust someone like David Lynch with the entirety of Dune? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Fair enough. I think you'll like his Dune. I mean, it's they try to get it all into one movie, so it's way too much, and it makes very, uh, very little sense why they did that. But I'll tell you what, well, I, it's I a weird I'm ass not... movie, but it's pretty exciting. I think the original Dune, the original, the the David Lynch Dune, and it's a movie that he like kind of disowns. Because it he didn't get a lot of creative control on it, but like I think it's the right level of weird to work for something like Dune, even if it is flawed. I think you'll enjoy it. So I guess I'm not Dune with David Lynch quite yet. Not quite yet. I'm gonna get you through many of them. Also, is is he are he and McLaughlin like friends? They're they're like buddies and and like muses because he is uh Paul Atreides and in, in like a real Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yep. But also Laura Dern. And Laura Dern, who I believe this is her first collaboration with Lynch. And um she came at the su- or not, not at the suggestion of, but I think she had worked I forget. Yeah, whatever. But uh yeah, Laura Dern kind of becomes his muse as well. Like she shows up in a in a handful of things, uh Wild at Heart. Um I mean Inland Empire is her big home run movie, but one day, David Lynch has a sense of humor that I think when you get it, you'll get it. But you have to see a couple of more things. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll see I get, other stuff, but I'm not watching this one again. It breaks my heart that you're unexcited, but I also kind of expected this to happen because uh, it's a tough pill to swallow. And uh, Blue Velvet, it's one of my favorites, but it wasn't always. I had to grow into it. Yeah, we'll continue this this experiment as the as the. I like to movie movie shift happens. Yeah, as this oh it happened, baby. We're in it. I mean, it, you know, we're still we're still in the in the early era of it. Yeah, we'll figure out what's 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 going on with it. But um yeah, man, it breaks my heart, but I do think you'll like the straight story. Uh, it's a very sweet movie, but yeah. it's, it's you've mentioned that to me funny. a few times. Yeah, it's uh and it's just got a really interesting backstory. And it's like the only David Lynch movie that you'll find on Disney Plus. You mean Eraserhead's on a Disney Plus? It's not on Disney Plus, but it is in the Library of Congress. It was deemed oh. a culturally important film. And it's it's uh, much like Rocky, it is a film that is about Philadelphia. Okay. Well, it's about the Eraserhood, which when Lynch lived here was not the nicest place in the world. And so the vibes and locations of Eraserhead are in and informed by his life in the racerhood section of Philadelphia. Mm. But uh it's a that that's one that I would actually have a hard time watching again because it's just like 
it's never boring. I, Kevin is right. It's never boring, but it is a, uh, it's an experience. It's something. Well, I'll that if we want to do that one soon, I'll do that one. Okay, and that's another one because I actually because of Criterion sale yesterday, I now have all of the Lynch Criterion discs because I'm such a little fanboy of it. But um, I don't know any closing thoughts on it. We can go to our list. I'm I a little de- I'm a little deflated. You just didn't I like one of my I'm favorite deflated movies. Too. I, it's okay. You know, you I wasted a like gummy that. on this movie. <laughs> I would say that you used a gummy properly on this movie. If anything was going to get you into the the headspace that you need to be in to really appreciate David Lynch, well, so, as soon as as soon as the gummy started like really hitting, I was like, "This is a nightmare. This is, <laughs> this is a fucking terrible, terrible idea." So and the thing is, you get it. I wish I wish I had not put it off until the day of recording to watch it, so that I could stop watching it right now. You can sit with it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh... It's a unique one, but this is one that like everybody who doesn't like Lynch usually comes around on in terms of just it's if you can't if you don't like the way it's done, you can you know, there is craft on display, but you'll find too that a million things that you didn't realize were influenced by it were influenced by it. And I think as that starts to set in, you'll notice some parallels and maybe it'll maybe it'll brighten up your memory of it for you. Well, as this Lynch watch continues, I'll re- I'll let you know how I feel about my memories of Blue Velvet. Yeah, there you go. There Continue. you go. Fair enough. Shall we but do a so list? far? So far, if I had to give it a rating, yeah, it's probably gonna be around a three. Oh, me. a three yeah. out of five or ten? ten. Damn. Yeah. See, I I already logged it on my letterbox the last time I rewatched it, which you can follow me at at letterbox at uh, Dan Scully. I gave it a perfect score because it's an all timer for me. Wow, yeah, so we are passing each other like ships in the night on this one. That's okay. Yeah. That's the that's one of the beautiful things about Lynch, and one of the fun things about being a fan. And people who are fans of him will understand this: is that we all admit it's it's not for everybody, and he's not incapable of of making something that doesn't work. But uh, I'm sure there's something of his I will like, but it yeah. wasn't this one. But one of the truths that everyone accepts as the, who are like big David Lynch fans is that one of the benefits is that it's not for everybody. No, it's just not. And if it was, it would be Ant-Man 10. And that's just, I don't a different want that thing. either. Exactly. Like that's just a different thing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it is what it is, but we decided in honor of this list and in honor of uh, the wonderful cast of blue velvet, we're going to count down our top, not top five, but five of our favorite movies from the cast. Well, I I believe we put, we said roles. Yes. And that works for me too. Because I have a couple of TV shows on here. That, that is totally perfect. That's fine. Valid. Um, And I'm going to go first because he went first last time. Yep. Do it up. Um, At number five, I have Francis Bay who is only in this movie for maybe two minutes as Aunt Barbara. Okay. She was Happy Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore's grandma, yes. (laughs) Dude, I love that lady. She reminds me of my Nana, who's currently fucking 96. And, like, she... This is my lowest one, because, like, I... Out of all the other... When I looked at all the other roles from all the other actors... That one was like, oh, I gotta put this one in there. I mean, that 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 role like really made the movie at a lot of points, even though that movie is like borderline perfect in my opinion. 
Um, she she stole the show in all of her scenes. So. In Happy Gilmore. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she was acting opposite the the great Ben Stiller. Yeah. Man, I didn't realize I've, I've probably told this on the show so many times. I didn't realize that was him until I revisited Happy Gilmore yeah. like many years after first seeing it. All right, my number five is a wonderful comedy, uh, "Death Becomes Her," which mm-hmm. features Isabella Rossellini. Have you yeah. seen that? Yeah, That's classic a movie. Uh, just a very, very uh, funny movie about about the anti aging uh, mentality. And the picture of woman who has never aged, as we learn via magic, is uh, played by Isabella Rossellini, who has that classic exotic beauty. And she leans into that for this role, and it suits her quite well. And she's very funny in it. So I actually like that movie a lot. It's very good. Have you seen it? Yeah, every Halloween she would put it on, and I'd be like, I would like kind of passively watch it. Like, I'd be on yeah, my yeah. phone or playing video games in the other room and like stop in for like a 10 minute I'd drop in for 10 minutes or so you know it's like you know it's it's a messy little movie but there's a lot of great effects and Meryl Streep's great in it Goldie Hawn is hilarious in it Bruce Willis is like next Bruce level Willis, hilarious that's who it was well. I was like yeah. there's a there's a there's a there's a guy actor in that one who's really good I thought it was Alec Baldwin for a second he's doing a, a Baldwin-y thing yeah. like Baldwin and Beetlejuice kind of thing um yeah I uh I I love Death Becomes Her. It's it's I a like ton what I saw. Yeah, I've seen it all out of out of sync though. Much like I have a Christmas Story. Because oh yeah, Christmas Story just plays twenty four hours, and I like catch a few minutes of it here and there. But I haven't seen that movie in chronological order at all. Yeah, I have a lot of movies in my life like that. <laughs> Christmas yeah. Story is probably one of them. But uh, yeah, Death Becomes Her. That's a great like Zemeckis playing around with with special effects movie too. He yeah. likes to do that. Uh, my number four is going to be Kyle MacLachlan as Claudius in Hamlet 2000. What is that? It's not really called Hamlet 2000. It's called Hamlet, but it came okay. out in 2000, and it stars <laughs> it stars Ethan Hawke as Hamlet. And so I call oh, I call yeah. it Hamlet. It's also like it's like uh, what Boz did with Romeo and Juliet, where he yeah, yeah. put it in a modern setting but kept all the Shakespearean language. Yeah. So that's why I call it Hamlet 2000 because it just makes sense and it also sounds funny. And also, and he, like every movie that came out that year, they did Godzilla 2000, Dracula 2000, like yeah. really leaned into the whole 2000 thing. Man, Prince had him beat by a year. He knew 99 was going to be the one that caught. Yeah, but um, it was good. He played Claudius, who's the who's the main antagonist, and uh, it was that was one of my first. It was the reason that in my senior year of high school. I made a uh, fully updated version of Hamlet because I liked the story so much. Nice. Hamlet's yeah. a good story. And I ripped off a lot of stuff from that movie because I was just <laughs> in high school. Yeah. How are you going to resonate with Hamlet 2000 and not feel nothing for Blue Velvet? You're crazy, I knew man. That putting You're crazy. This on the list, and I knew that putting that on the list was going to like raise some alarms. I've never actually seen it. Movies. I've never seen it. I've I've only heard good things I don't about know. it. So I I don't know if you can. You have to like go on eBay or some shit. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. And I don't I know they don't have any DVD copies in, in our local uh Best Buys and what have you. I have my ways. But yeah, take a look, see if you can find it. If you can find it, let me know because I'd love to watch it again. The guy who directed it, Michael Alm Almereda, he directed a uh movie that I loved called Tesla. 
where oh, yeah. uh, Kyle Ethan McLaughlin's Hawk, also in that. He is in that, and Ethan Hawke plays Tesla. That movie is fantastic, underrated, underseen. Right on. I I I would like to watch this Hamlet. It's, it's on Par- it's on Paramount Plus. Um, fucking, not Kirsten Dunst. Maybe it is Kirsten Dunst. She plays Ophelia. Bill Murray plays Polonius. Oh, and I see Liev Schreiber. Oh no, yeah, the Queen of the Year two thousand plays Ophelia. We're talking Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles. Yeah, yep. she was all about that. Oh, Steve Zahn's in it. Oh, he's he's Rosencrantz, Rosencrantz yep. and Guildenstern. Oh, that's yep. so funny. Jeffrey Wright, Paul Bartel, Casey Affleck, Tim Blake Nelson, <laughs> New York's Larry Fessenden. He's one of my favorite horror guys. We'll I, thought, I thought you're just getting excited about random names after a while. Um, no, it's got a, it's got a really stacked cast. But 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 Bronson Pinchot? No, he's not in it. Who plays um Hamlet Senior? Hamlet Senior. Um, would he be referred to as Ghost? Yeah, Sam Shepard, baby. Sam Shepard. Sam Shepherd, motherfucking yeah. Shepard. Oh, I am yeah. into it. Okay, I'm gonna have to watch this. It's on Paramount Plus. Nice. It's on Paramount Plus. It can be done. Nice. All right. So what are we up to? Our number, number four for you. For Number four for me is another David Lynch movie for Laura Dern. It is Inland Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Laura Dern is an is a really good actress. And it, this is like the one movie where she's kind where she really gets to be main fucking character and like take yeah. big Oscar swings, except you're not doing Oscar swings because you're in a David Lynch movie and it is a real trip. It's real weird. Um, it's hard to describe, but like what she is called upon to do in the movie as a performer is monumental and she rises to the challenge brilliantly. So Inland Empire for Laura Dern. Well, maybe I'll see it. Maybe I won't. I just Time got I just got the criterion, baby. I've been waiting Time for it forever. Tell. It was on, one of those like movies movie, you couldn't movie. find. I like the movie movie Colin Lynch watch. That's one where I will actually be like, let's just do all the drugs to watch. Yeah, because right. it's you kind of got a vibe with it. We'll get a big all tank right. of amyl nitrate. We're good to go. We'll be like my friend. number three is also a Laura Dern joint. Yeah. By the name of The Last Jedi. Oh, fuck. I forgot she was in it. She was a badass in that movie. She was, because she started out as like a pain in the ass. Yeah. But it turns out she was right the whole time. And then she goes out like a motherfucking hero. And she makes the ultimate sacrifice in one of the best use of hyperspeed I've seen in Star Wars yet. It's so cool. And she has purple hair. And she has purple hair. And she's so hot. Remember that in that scene, after she does the warp thing, it's completely silent. Yeah. There was a sign on the front of the theater the second time I saw that movie that said, there is a moment in this movie that features however many seconds of absolute silence. We assure you the speakers aren't broken. Just wait. And because I guess people were like, we lost all the sound and then ran out of the theater. But um, it was a creative choice. It's a creative choice and a great one. It works really well. People are really stupid. People are dumb. Yeah, people are real fucking stupid. But yeah, but, Lauren um, Dern yeah. in The Last Jedi was probably one of the saving graces of that film. That's my favorite Star Wars. Uh, I don't know about that. But that's Laura, Laura Dern that. definitely elevates it, helps elevate it above the rise of Skywalker. I didn't say it was the best. I said it was my favorite. 
Uh, why not Rogue? I thought Rogue One was your favorite. No, that's probably like second or third, but Empire really does have to be like close to the top. Yeah. But like Last Jedi, Empire, Rogue One, and Return of the Jedi are like top tier for me. I don't know. I'm coming around to the Phantom Menace more and more every day. Dude, right? Last time I rewatched yeah. it, I had so much fun with that movie. But it's we forget time. when that first came out. And like, Misa, not sorry. I loved that movie when it first came out. Yeah. And then I went, I jumped on the bandwagon to be like, eh, for no fucking reason. And Darth then, Maul rules. Darth Maul rules. Um, I even don't mind Jar Jar. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. He's a Misa. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's like by comparison, considering that I personally didn't really like The Last Jedi or The Rise of Skywalker. And so I'm like, yeah, these I, weren't that bad. I didn't like Rise of Skywalker. No one did. Yeah, it was kind of, they no really, shit. they pooped the bed on that. Although it did end in an orange lightsaber, which gave it a lot of points for me because that's what I always wanted to see. Yeah. All right. Number three, Dennis Hopper in True Romance. Oh, thank God. You were afraid I was going to do a, a copy? Yeah. Yeah, well, no, True Romance, do you remember If we can get role? to my number one without doubling up, I'll be very impressed. I actually think we will. Okay. And, um, so Dennis Hopper in um, in True Romance, he plays Christian Slater's dad. Uh, they are sort of estranged, um, but uh, now they're not estranged, but they haven't seen each other in a while. And uh, Christian Slater now has uh, uh, bad guys on his tail. And he visits his dad while he's on the run, sort of just to be like saying goodbye, knowing that like this probably isn't going to end well for himself. And then he goes on the road. And then the next day, the head of the bad guys, who is only also in one scene, Christopher Walken, <laughs> comes in and says, I know that your son was here. Why don't you tell me where he is? And Dennis Hopper holds firm and does not give up his son and pretends he hasn't seen him in years. And it is one of the most loaded, tense and insane scenes I've ever seen in a movie. And Dennis Hopper delivers the monologue of a lifetime and knocks it out of the park. It's it's a home fucking run. Uh, it's the best scene in the whole movie made by two characters, one who's only in one scene and one who's only in two scenes. Uh, unbelievable stuff. And again, the monologue that Hopper delivers is, is unforgettable. It's, it's brilliant. Tarantino is the king of bringing in uh, a star-powered person for three minutes. Oh yeah, to just knock a, a monologue out of yeah. the park. And so. he did. I guess it's the second time he did it with Walken because Pulp Fiction also. Yeah, another great scene. What's um, so cool about the true romance scene is Walken comes in and he delivers a monologue forever, and he does uh, this big thing, and it's yeah. funny, and he's cold and scary, but he's kind of funny. And then Dennis Hopper starts going back at him and he tells a story that's blah 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 and tell me this and they just chew back and forth in monologue versus monologue and and hopper wins even though nice. he ultimately loses he wins the monologue off have you I seen, seen that in a long time oh, the last man. time i saw it, i was in film school and everyone was talking the whole time lame yeah that's what um, we could do i don't think we've actually done that on movie movie in the past i would do that i'll do yeah. that one that's a damn good movie. I think you would love revisiting that. I'd love revisiting it. It's been years. Uh, my number two is going to be another Laura Dern joint. Uh, big Little Lies. On oh, HBO. yeah. I or as I season. call it, as I call it, Pretty Big Little Liars. <laughs> we, uh, shout out to Andy, friend of the show. Uh, we came to calling it Pretty Little Big League. 
Pretty Little Big League, nice. <laughs> no, I, the, the first season is good. The second season, I I watched the first half of, and then the problem is, you you can't take something for one season that has source material. Yep, and then continue that on without the source material. <laughs> yeah, it's uh... um. But so I'm I'm only talking about the first season. I think it was amazing. Laura Dern plays, uh, you know, this rich elite housewife who who has so much privilege that it's just oozing out of her. And then she finds out that her husband completely mismanaged their estate and they are completely broke. Yeah. Um, and she plays like just the most entitled person who gets real humbled real quick. And she's also part of um, murdering someone. So it's it's a really good. Uh, watching her kind of try to keep it all together and navigate these relationships, she did a great job of it, and definitely one of the more memorable and an already really really talented cast pool. That was one of the most well cast shows I've ever seen. Yeah, everybody was an absolute home running cast. Yeah, uh, that whole group was. Yeah, that's that's a rare show that I did watch, and I didn't watch the second season at all. But I really enjoyed the first season. You're yeah, good. yeah. And once I yeah. heard that, I was like, it, it doesn't feel real. To, it's fan fiction at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was my number two. Nice. My number two is Brad Dourif as the forever voice of the killer doll Chucky. Really? Brad Dourif has been his voice since day one, except for wow. the uh, the remake where Mark Hamill did the job, and wonderfully so. I like that remake. Um, but Brad Dourif has been the Chucky doll forever, and so I had it as child's play, but when you think about that entire pantheon of movies, one yeah. of the most indelible things about it is Chucky, and it speaks to uh, Chucky's voice, sorry, which speaks to Brad Dourif because it's like, you know, anyone can play Jason because he's got a mask, but all, and no love lost to Jason. Only one person can really play Freddy because he embodies that. What's crazy is you'd think, yeah, someone else could do a Chucky voice, but it wouldn't be the same. That's how damn good Brad Dourif is. They've yeah. never switched out the voice because like they tried to do a remake of Nightmare on Elm Street and the remakes is, is what it is. It's it's enjoyable. With but Jackie like, Earl Haley. <clears throat> yeah, and he does a, a good job doing that version of Freddy, but like for my money, it's it's uh Robert Englund. Yeah. But uh so Brad Dourif being the voice of Chucky, oh, Bobby like, UK, he's not even there. It's just his voice, and it's as indelible to the character as Robert Englund is to uh, Freddy Krueger. Yeah. So Brad Dourif is one of Frank's lackeys in a blue velvet, blue uh, my... Velveeta. If you got blue Velveeta, don't Velveeta eat it. Azul. Don't don't eat the blue Velveeta. Uh, my number one is she of course. Ate blue. Velveeta, it's in my tub. Okay, my number one is of course Dennis Hopper as Howard Payne in Speed. I knew this is coming. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah! This I'm is the smarter first... than you, Jack. I'm smarter than you. This yeah, is the I'm first taller. time I've ever been introduced to Dennis Hopper in. Same. Yeah, and so I can't, I can't not put it up there. Because, man, he scared the shit out of me as a kid. <laughs> I remember when I saw I saw Super Mario Brothers, and I was like, yo, Koopa, that's speed. Yeah. I, I saw I that on at my very list, different times I, in my life. It goes to speed, for sure. Hell yeah. He's a great villain in that. I've been dilly-dallying around re-watching speed for, like, months now, and I just never sit down to do it. It's really time. Yeah. 
I that's yeah. a that's just a classic. Especially with John Wick Four coming out, dude. I got my tickets for Saturday. I'm going at noon since it's so fucking long, and I don't want to lose my day. Yeah, uh, very excited. I cannot wait. I saw a behind the scenes stunt today of him just yeah, like throwing a dude down the escalator. Yeah. Dude, that shit was so <laughs> cool. Oh my god, the absolute best. Yeah. All right, my number one is a movie that I only just recently saw for the first time because I only just recently heard of it for the first time. It stars Kyle MacLachlan and it's called The Hidden, and it. it is it's fucking bananas. It is not a banana. It is bananas, banana yeah. pants bonkers. It is about a worm monster from outer space that loves heavy metal and driving fast and smoking cigarettes, and he can possess people. And he's moving from body to body uh, in, in uh, I believe, L.A. And it's about the police investigation to catch this criminal as it slowly dawns on them that they're dealing with something more supernatural. But the special agent that they bring in to help is Kyle McLaughlin. And uh, I shan't say more, but my God, it's a fucking rip-roaring good time. This was made in 87. Dude, you you would love this movie. It's fucking crazy. And it's funny and it's violent and it's a cop movie and it's an alien movie. And oh baby, it's it's got everything. Every movie should be the hidden. I don't know about that. Oh, it, I'll put it this way. It was on Criterion Channel and I streamed it because it was leaving Criterion Channel and I just thought it would be it looked cool. And I streamed it and the movie rolled credits and then I picked up my phone, I went to Amazon. And I bought the Blu-ray and then I went back and watched the rest of the credits because I just knew I had to have it forever. Jesus. I love the hidden. It's so I also it cost like five dollars. Yeah. But um it's it's awesome. And I can't believe I've never heard of it until recently. So because it's the kind of movie that I would seek out. And it found me. It was not so hidden anymore. There it is. There you go. All right, we're down to the end yeah. here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as always, follow us at Movie Movie Cast on all the things. You should check out our other show, Hot Property, at Hot Property Pod on all of the things. Uh, log into my website, scullyvision.com. Uh, over the next week and a half, you're going to see a lot of material popping up about the Overlook Film Festival in New Orleans. And uh, so definitely check that out. And yeah, follow my letterbox. It's just uh, Dan Scully. Uh, follow my dog at BB underscore the Corgi on Instagram. You can follow Steven's letterbox as well, but I don't I know do, what it I'm is. I'm not doing anything with it. <laughs> not with that attitude. You can I gotta start. Clone my, eh, you know, it is what it is. But um, yeah, so thank you everybody for listening and uh, we'll see you next week on Hot Property and in two weeks uh, here at Movie Movie Cast where we will be going over the entirety of the John Wick franchise with a very special guest, Joe. So tune in for that. It's yeah. going to be a doozy and we're going to have a blast and maybe we could even figure out a way to do it in person. Hmm? Uh, we'll yeah, see, we'll see. Yeah. As long as I don't fuck up the sounds. Yeah, that, we got to take a class or something before we do another in-person one. I'll get on the tube. I'll get yeah. on the tube. We'll think we'll figure it out. But uh, yeah. all right, that's it. That's been movie movie. Bye. Bye. <laughs>